Well, good morning, everybody, again. We're going to get started with the uh, sermon this morning. I'm really looking forward to you uh, getting to hear Jason White as he preaches God's Word in just a moment. Um, Church, it's so good to be together with you. I was thinking about uh, just how much I just thank God for you, love worshiping Jesus together with you, and uh, what a beautiful Sunday morning for us to be able to be gathered together uh, to hear God's Word this morning. I'm really grateful to God for uh, just uh, the three guys so far that God's been raising up uh, towards potential bivocational pastoral ministry in our church. Uh, I'm thankful for Joshua Sarita, who did the Crossfire announcement, who's been working with our parent teen ministry. I'm thankful for Ethan Prowse, who brought the Word of God last week to us in our evangelism series. And I'm very grateful as well uh, for Jason White um, and just all the things that he does to serve our church and the blessing that he is. I was thinking of the verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul is speaking of Timothy and he says, for I have no, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And when I think of Jason, I think of a man who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Um, we have a lot of men like that and a lot of women like that in our church who are genuinely concerned for the welfare of the brothers and sisters in Christ in our local church family. And I'm grateful for every man and every woman and every child who's that way. But, but Jason really is an example in that. He has a heart for the least of these and serving in mercy ministry. He serves as a deacon in our church currently. Um, he does a lot of work with our parent youth ministry as well to help Joshua and I out as we serve uh, the teens and the parents in our church. Um, Jason also really cares about every single individual he talks to. He takes an interest in, he cares about, and really wants to see them thriving in the Lord. And so, Jason, thank you so much for your heart for Jesus, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing God's Word from you today. So can we welcome Jason as he comes forward to share God's Word with us? Well, good morning, church. It is wonderful to see you. I feel that I don't even need to preach this morning. Uh, Out of everything that has been said, Lewis, Brother Lewis, uh, that's what it's all about, church. We've been going through an evangelism series for our equipping, for our encouragement, and that is what it's all about. So thank you, Brother Lewis. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, church. Thank you for being missional. Thank you for loving Jesus, loving him well. So I am greatly encouraged this morning. I would like to begin our time together with a story. An estimated 100,000 people gathered at the dock of Belfast, Ireland on March 31, 1911 to watch the launch of the Royal Mail ship, the Titanic, considered to be an unsinkable ship The Titanic was the largest and most luxurious cruise liner of its day, measuring more than 882 feet long from front to back, the length of four city blocks and 175 feet high, and weighing more than 46,000 tons. It boasted state-of-the-art technology, including a sophisticated electrical control panel, four elevators, and an advanced wireless communication system, that could transmit Morse code. Yet, on the night of April 14, 1912, just four days after leaving Southampton, England, on its maiden voyage to New York, the Titanic struck an iceberg off the coast of Newfoundland and sank. 
Now, more than a century after the Titanic went down, experts are still trying, debating possible causes of this historical disaster that took the lives of more than 1,500 passengers and crew. Most of them agree that only a combination of circumstances can fully explain what doom the the supposedly unsinkable ship. Many have wept and grieved over this very sad day in our history. Many believe this to be an unstoppable, unsinkable creation. The ship sank and was a reminder to all that day that because man built the ship, it was imperfect. Today we are going to look at another part of history, another time in history where a builder built something that is still alive today and is unstoppable, unbreakable. It is called the church. And Jesus Christ is the builder. We'll be looking at the story from the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. We're going to be looking at chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Today's message is entitled, I Will Build My Church. Well, let us listen to the eternal living words of God this morning. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. For the sake of the message this morning and time, we are only going to be focusing on the first 13 through 18 and not 19 and 20. Let's pray together. Our Father, Would you open our minds this morning to your eternal word, to your eternal truth? Lord, help our hearts and our minds to listen and to obey your eternal words. Lord, these are your truths and your Holy Spirit is here among us. Lord, I ask that you would bless the preaching of the word. Thank you for your love to us, Lord. It's in your son's name, and his name alone, I pray. Amen. Well, today's message has three truths that will guide our time together as we continue our evangelism series. These truths will point us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. The first truth this morning is Christ is the foundation. Christ is the foundation. The second truth this morning is Christ is the builder. And then the third truth is Christ shall prevail. 
Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, you want to bring the map up there? As you can see, Caesarea Philippi is up the top there, above Galilee. And a little circle up there in the top. Caesarea Philippi is 25 miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee and 40 miles southwest of Damascus on a beautiful highland near the headwaters of the Jordan River. The location offered Jesus and his disciples rest from the hot Galilean lowland and from the pressures of the Jewish leaders. I had the, the privilege and honor to, ten, maybe 10 years ago, it was a while ago, to actually travel to Israel, the Holy Land, and to see Caesarea Philippi. And it was one of my favorite places. You want to bring the pictures up there? You can see Caesarea Philippi. You have the waters here. Beautiful landscape. Well, Caesarea Philippi's location was especially unique because it stood at the base of a cliff. You can see the cliff there. At one time, the water ran directly from the mouth of a cave set in the bottom of the cliff. This area was full of idolatry. If you want to show the next picture. As you can see, there's, there's remains of where the idols would have been placed there at Caesarea Philippi in the time. The pagans of Jesus' day commonly believed that their gods lived in the underworld during the winter and returned to earth each spring. They saw water as a symbol of the underworld and thought that their gods traveled to and from the world through the caves. So this land was full of idols and idolatry and wickedness. Now to the pagan mind, the cave and spring at water, spring water at Caesarea Philippi created a gate to the underworld. So in that picture where the opening of the cave, they actually believed there was a gate there that created a passage to the underworld. They believed that their city was literally, now this is important as we get contact for the the passage here. They believed that the city was literally at the gates of hell, literally at the gates of the underworld. When Jesus brought his disciples to this area, they must have been shocked. Jesus, what are you doing? Out of all places, why Caesarea Philippi? Why would we come here? Do you not know that this place is filled with idols and wickedness? Caesarea Caesarea Philippi was a red flag in their world, and devout Jews would have avoided any contact, any contact at all going there because they knew there was wicked, wicked acts committed there. This is where Jesus took his disciples. This is where we find our story today. This is where Jesus said, I will build my church. The second part of verse 13. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And it's important to note that the Son of Man was penned 
around 80 times in the New Testament to describe Jesus. So the question today is, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The disciples answered their rabbi like any other time that would ask a question, as a very familiar in Jewish culture to do. It's important to note in Jesus' day, opinion about Jesus' identity was divided just like it is in our day. Some thought he was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some thought he was Elijah, a forerunner to the Messiah to come. Others thought Jesus was a reincarnate Elijah, considered by most Jews to be supreme, the supreme Old Testament prophet. Some say Jeremiah. Some Jews thought that before the Messiah returned to establish his kingdom, Jeremiah would return to earth and restore the ark and the altar to their proper place in the temple. Now, Jesus was thought to be only a forerunner to the Messiah. They didn't think he was the actual Messiah, the king, the son of God. Because they were influenced. The disciples were very influenced by the Jewish culture. Like their fellow Jews, they had been taught to expect a conquering and reigning Messiah who would deliver God's people from their enemies and establish forever his righteous kingdom on earth. Now, after the disciples gave a full report of what the multitudes were saying about him, Jesus then asked, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He makes it personal. And like any rabbi, they were very close with their disciples. And it could, may have been, that he looked at each of them in their eyes and said, who do you say that I am? This is the ultimate question. This is the question of the ages. But who do you say that I am? And I want to pause here for a moment and ask you. Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? It was not that Jesus was unaware of who they thought he was, but he wanted his disciples to carefully think through this as his disciples, which he would do often as their teacher. The ultimate question, the climax question of Jesus' teaching, all of life hangs on this very question. Your eternal destination hangs on how you answer this question. We must all face it, every one of us. This is the foundation for your whole life. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he just a ticket out of hell? Is he just a a, a prophet? Is he your buddy? Is he someone you say when you curse? Who is he? Think for a moment and ask your question. Who is Jesus? Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, 
Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, a spokesman for the twelve, he's always one of the first ones to talk. Uh, not always a good thing. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our first truth this morning is this. Christ is the foundation. Christ is the foundation. Now, you see, this is the first time that we see the disciples truly confessing who Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi. And who is Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you don't know who he is. I never want to assume, we never want to assume that you know who Jesus is. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. God's predicted and long-awaited deliverer of Israel, the supreme anointed one, the coming high priest, king, prophet, and savior. Without hesitation, without hesitation, Peter declared Jesus to be the Messiah, whereas the multitudes of Jews believed him only to be the Messiah's forerunner, not the Messiah himself. Now it took the disciples Two and a half years to come to this place of confession. But they now knew he was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is to come, who has came to deliver, to deliver us from our sins. Christ, he is the foundation. They confess that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus being fully man and fully God coming to earth. He is the Christ, Son of God. Notice how Jesus answers Peter. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you are here today and have repented of your sins and believed in Christ, for salvation. Rejoice because God has revealed it to you. This is not something that you have come to know in your own terms, but as John 6.44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. God has chosen you. He has adopted you. If you are here this morning and you confess and you walk with Christ, and he is your savior, and he is your love, and he is your life. Rejoice, my friend. Rejoice, my brother, because God chose you, and he revealed himself to you personally, because he loves you. If you are here today, you have not repented of your sins, and have turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I plead with you, I plead with you as God pleads with you. Repent and believe. Salvation has come. The Messiah has come. And he's no longer here. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he's reaching out to you. Come to me. Come to me. Repent. I love you. Last Sunday, Brother Ethan said this statement as he preached faithfully God's word. May you and I follow the disciples' example and preach the good news, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
as way as application, this is important to note. Christ is the foundation. That's the truth. Christ is the foundation and powers the church to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Christ is the foundation and powers the church to proclaim the gospel of Christ. There is no other foundation, as 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation for the gospel. Only Jesus Christ. His life, his perfect, his perfect life, death, and resurrection. It's all about Jesus. All other ground is sinking sand. The reason why Jesus asked the question before he says that I'm going to build my church is vastly significant to notice. Jesus lays the foundation for who he is because the foundation for the church is Christ. For he is the cornerstone. He is the solid rock. The reason why we come back and back to the gospel, to Christ and him alone. It's because there is no other foundation. Only Christ and him crucified. Jesus is the builder of his church. And just like the disciples needed to know who he is, so do we. If Jesus was only a man and only a prophet, his church would have been stopped within a few generations or sooner. Jesus is the Christ. The foundation for evangelism is Jesus Christ. Know him, love him, proclaim him. We must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way of salvation. The only way to salvation for those that are perishing. So when you tell your neighbor, when you tell your co-worker, take heart. You know him and he knows you. Proclaim him. And salvation belongs to the Lord. And if you are here today and you struggle with sharing your faith, for I know I do, tell people about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Tell them about Jesus and ask for boldness and God will give it to you. God will give it to you. Well, let's go ahead and move on to verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This brings us to our second truth this morning. Christ is the builder. Christ is the builder. Now, Jesus talks to Peter here. And I tell you, you are Peter. The word Peter here is Petros. From the Greek meaning, small stone. Petros, when he talks to Peter, he's calling him small stone. You are Peter. You are small stone. And rock, the word rock, and on this rock, I will build my church, is Petra. So Peter, Petros, and rock, Petra, in the Greek, referring to a rocky mountain or peak. Think of it this way. 
Jesus was comparing Peter a small stone, comparing Peter a small stone to the great mountain on which he would build his church. Jesus is referring Peter as a spokesman of the twelve. It was not the apostles or Peter as an individual that Christ would build his church, but on the apostles and his appointed teachers of the gospel. Peter was a representation of the apostles. He was a teacher. He was a proclaimer of the good news. It was on the foundation of the gospel, the foundation of Christ himself, that Peter would build, or Christ would build his church through Peter and the apostles. The early church did not give tribute to the apostles as persons for their office or titles, but to their doctrine. Christ is the foundation, and he also is the builder. So as we looked at Christ laying the foundation as Christ himself, Jesus is the cornerstone, he also is the builder. He is the one that speaks, and it comes into pass. When Christ speaks, we should listen. As Colossians says, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus speaks, and it comes to life. Jesus says, I will build my church. That's a promise. That's life. That's knowledge of what Christ is doing. Now, you see the word church here in the Greek, and this is the first time the word church in the New Testament ever, Jesus says the word church. And the word church in the Greek is ekklesia. Its literal meaning is the called out ones. It was used for a general term for an assembled group of people. So they were familiar with the general term of what it means. When a new word is introduced, it's important to stop and to think. What did Jesus mean? Okay, he's the foundation. He's the builder. He's going to build his church. What is Jesus referring to? The disciples would have thought, they would have asked. Okay, he is Jesus. Now he's going to build his church. Jesus was referring to his bride, a people called out of darkness by God. The church is God's chosen ones for who he died. The church is not a building, but a people that God is building. The church is not a building. It is a blessing to have buildings to gather here corporately. But the church are you and I. Those have given their life over to Christ. And Jesus is building his church day by day. Amen. I, 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 Jesus will build my church. Breathe this truth in deeply. Christ is the one who died for his church. And he's also the one who's building it. You see, the, the one who died on the cross of Golgotha for our sins died for you and I. We can have strong hope because the same one who died is the one who's building it. And if he rose again from the grave, the grave couldn't keep him. And he came and he rose again. And now he's at the right hand of the Father. We can guarantee, we can have hope, we can have assurance that Jesus is serious about building his church. 
Now, Jesus was not saying the time of his building, but its certainty. Jesus made a promise, and he cannot lie, no matter how hopeless things might seem for the church. No matter how dark things may seem. And we have to remember, it is not faithful believers who build Christ's church or faithful pastors. Although God uses them, just like he used the apostles, like he uses us, it is Christ the faithful one who builds his church. It is Christ the faithful one that builds his church because there's going to be times in our life where we become unfaithful to God and he's never unfaithful to us. And he speaks and it comes to pass. We can look to Jesus as the one who is building his church day by day. First Peter 2, 6 says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Church. How this affects us for evangelism. This truth, Christ is the builder, empowers the church to trust Jesus to build his church. When it comes to evangelism, this knowledge of Christ as the builder empowers you and I, the church, to trust Jesus to build his church. Maybe you're here and you've been hurt by people in the church. Maybe you're here and you're struggling. Maybe you're here and you're hopping from church to church. You've been hurt. You've been abused by the church, maybe by pastors, by ministers, by those who proclaim Christ as their life. I feel that the Holy Spirit wants to encourage you this morning to look to Jesus and Him alone for your salvation, but also for comfort and for hope that He's the one building it and He loves you and He promised He promises he's going to build it. Stay fast to him. And we're in this journey together. You can trust. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him to build his church. Think of it like this. The gospel of Christ is the engine of evangelism. And the church is the vehicle of evangelism. The gospel of Christ is the engine of evangelism. And the church is the vehicle of evangelism. You cannot separate one from the other. You need both of them to function. I don't know if you've ever tried to drive a vehicle without an engine, but it's not going to work. Hopefully no one's out there that ever tried that. Uh, We need the gospel. The gospel is the engine of the church's life. It's what spurs it all together to work for the good of the kingdom. God uses the church. The church is his bride. The church is his body. The church is when he was on the cross. He had all, everyone that he died for throughout all of history on his mind, on his heart. And he died for you and I. We need the gospel every day. Church, 
He uses us. He uses us. Not only does He save us, but He uses us to proclaim the gospel to those that are perishing. Not much needs to be said that has already been said this morning about evangelism and why is it important. If you are a disciple of Jesus this morning, God uses you to bring the good news to those that are lost. Brother Jim preached a sermon about beautiful feet a few weeks ago. Those that have beautiful feet are those that bring good news to others. Those that have beautiful feet are those that have the gospel and to bring the good news of great joy. For if you are saved, you have this precious gospel. You have this message to bring to the neighborhood, to the nations, to say, I have great news. Rejoice. We live in a broken, dark world with so much to be sad and to be overwhelmed about. And I'm sure you struggle with those that are around. Things are so negative. Things are so dark. This is the light. Jesus has come to save sinners. Praise God. Now that's take the message to the streets. Tell people about what Jesus has done because this is amazing. If we truly believe what the gospel is and we have it, May we go and tell. Go tell it on the mountain for Christ, Christ, Christ. Please come to Him and be saved. In the second part of verse 18, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This brings us to our third and final truth this morning. Gates of hell shall not prevail. The third truth is this. Christ shall prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. Christ shall prevail. That's a promise. A guarantee. He has risen. And if he has risen from the grave, he has conquered death. Now gates, you see, are, are not instruments of warfare. Their purpose is to protect those behind them from being conquered, or if in prison, to keep them from escaping. In the NIV, the word that is given here is Hades, which corresponds to the Hebrew, refers here to the dwelling of the dead. The dwelling of the dead. When this word is properly understood, it becomes clear that Jesus was declaring that death has no power to hold God's redeemed people captive. Its gates are not strong enough to overpower and keep in prison the church of God. Who Jesus has conquered sin and death on our behalf. If Jesus rose again from the grave, if we believe that, which that's what the gospel, that's what the gospel is, that he rose again, that the grave couldn't keep him. If he conquered, if he conquered death, if death couldn't keep him, the gates of death could not keep him. He broke those gates open. He ripped them off. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's so important that we know that Jesus is alive. Not only is he alive, but he destroyed death and its power. 
Jesus promised to the twelve and to all believers who would be put their faith and trust in him, the gates of Hades, the chains of death itself could never hold. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you feel, man, hell seems like it's prevailing. A lot of people that are close to me have died. The enemy seems to be winning. Be encouraged this morning. Those that have gone before us and have died, if they have put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are in the presence of God because Jesus rose again from the dead and he ripped those doors off. And Jesus is building his church all around the world. And because of this truth, Christ shall prevail and powers the church to persevere. Christ shall prevail and powers the church to persevere no matter what. The church will persevere because the foundation is Christ, the builder is Christ, and the one that will prevail is Christ. It's all laid on Christ and Him alone. Praise God. Hallelujah. We must breathe this truth in deeply, brothers and sisters. We must believe. Church, when it comes to evangelism, we must believe this truth. We must believe it, no matter how hard things get in this fallen world. We must breathe in deeply that Christ will prevail. He has prevailed. He is prevailing all around the world. We see in Croatia. We see in Reading. We see in Wyoming. We see... In Nevada, all around the world, California, you see, you look. You look all around the world when the moment that Jesus said, I will build his church. Hasn't that promise true? That you've been seeing Jesus building his church all around the world. And remember, if Jesus was not the Messiah, his church would have been stopped within a few years. As his Church stopped growing? No, it hasn't. Jesus' church is living. And we, you and I, are living stones being built up to go into the nations, go into our neighborhoods, go into our workplaces. So may this series of evangelism, may Christ be the one that's leading us out from here to share the good news. I hope you're encouraged. Jesus ripped the gates off of death that Easter Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Christ lived a perfect life, died on a Roman cross, absorbed the full wrath of God, his Father. absorbed it all. There's none left. He drank down all of the wrath of God. There is no more remain. Sin has no more power on you. No more power. And when the enemy, when yourself, tries to condemn you, remember Romans 8, 1. For there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Death has no more sting on you. We must believe it. We must not only Consume it in our minds, but believe it in our hearts and to live. 
Because the gospel empowers us to be free, to be totally free, even though we still struggle with sin and we still struggle with the effects of the fall. But we must believe that we are free. And when God looks upon a once a condemned man and woman, but now free in Christ, he sees Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection. And this frees us to tell people about the good news of great joy. This is the same Jesus who pronounced here at Caesarea Philippi, I will build my church. This is the same Jesus that rose again from the dead, that commanded us to love one another. That is at the right hand of the Father, the one that defeated Satan and all the hell's powers. He has defeated death. He has defeated Satan. He has defeated the enemy. And he has defeated your conquering sin. This is the same Jesus. This is the same Jesus that loves you more than you can ever imagine. And we'll be spending an eternity of eternity chasing down the glories of his great love for us. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his ecclesia. Therefore, 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 go as a messenger from King Jesus to a dying world and tell them the good news of great joy. Salvation has come. Salvation has come. Repent and believe, and you shall be saved. And you shall be saved. Let's pray together. Our Father, our Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for this promise here this morning that you will build your church. And you are building your church here, even now, as we proclaim, as I proclaim your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would implant this truth into our hearts, and our minds, and our life. So that when we leave here, we can remember that you will build your church. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful to declare the gospel of the kingdom. Give us boldness. Empower us with your Holy Spirit, I pray. It's in your Son, King Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Jason. Church, can we give thanks to God for our brother? I love the, the phrase that Jason shared with us, that Jesus ripped the gates off. Don't you love that? What a, an encouraging and inspiring and, and hope-giving word, brother. We're so grateful for the reminder of Christ and his prevailing power in our midst. And we are evidence of that, church. Aren't you so glad to be one of the called-out ones, to be one of the ones that constitute Christ's bride? Uh, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ has prevailed. And uh, what good news that is for us this morning. Let, let your soul be refreshed. Let your weary soul be refreshed with the truth of God's word uh, here this morning, church. Well, 
Uh, we also want you to be refreshed uh, with our Koinonia luncheon, which we're going to be having in just a few moments. Uh, I want to remind you uh, to go and get your children from Children's Ministry in just a moment. But also, um, if we could have those who do not have children go through the line for food first, and then the families with children follow afterward, that way the, uh, the uh, line will proceed through the fastest. And let me just pray for our meal and give thanks to God for our time. Jesus, we just want to thank you for prevailing the way you have over sin and Satan and death. Thank you for ripping the gates off. No one could hold you back. No one could hold you down, not even death itself. And we are so glad for the emphasis this morning uh, on your resurrection and the power, Lord God, that we are dealing with. We are dealing with you, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we love you, and we are so grateful for who you are and that you sit on your throne even right now, ruling and reigning over all things. And we love you for laying down your life for us, King Jesus. And we ask for you to bless our fellowship as a local church this morning as we enjoy food and uh, fellowship together. Thank you for loving us. I pray that we would love you even more. But Lord, I also pray, would you give us grace to love one another more and more as we head into our future together as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Looking forward to having lunch with you. Enjoy.